Dear Lord God, we're grateful. Thank you for the company we have with one another because we share our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We'd ask that you would build us up in it, that we would represent your Son's holiness appropriately. Thank you. In your Son's name, amen. Well, in my family, because unavoidably, with preparing for my father's departure to the heavenly realms, crossing the Jordan, whatever euphemism you want to use for dying, we've been prepared for this for years now and expected. He's in his 90s. He's not in good shape. And in the last few days, my sister into a situation that is very dicey and might not turn out the way you pray. So as a family, we sort of had those things on our plate. And I wanted to, because I hear it is a Christmas, so this is the Christmas sermon. Next sermon is New Year's sermon, you know. But I wanted to... You know, something that my parents um, engendered in me is my mother, since she was in her 40s, which is, she married in her 30s, early 30s, and, and so I was coherent by the time she was in her 40s. And she was always looking forward to go to be with the Lord. And I always thought of her as an old woman in her 40s. And so I said, of course, you're probably going to the be with the Lord next week. Uh, so we always talked about it. And my parents, and you, most of you know my parents, um, have a direct and absolute belief in the Word of God. We told uh, my dad what danger my sister was in yesterday. And Doug told him and Doug texted me and said uh, he took it really well and prayed cogently and powerfully. So I wanted to think about that. Why is that the case? You know, what's, as you become more godly, do people suspect you have no heart? Aren't you supposed to be a wreck? So I was looking at John 10, because this is really a matter of belief and unbelief. I think I've told you this before, I, a friend uh, lived with us years ago who's very emotional, and uh, she came to me and said, I don't know what emotions even mean, would you help me out? I'm gonna, every time I'm crying, I'm going to come talk to you so you can tell me what I'm thinking that's making me cry. I said, thank you very much. I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> so for the next quite a bit, she'd find herself in tears, and I'd be sitting at peace, reading a book in my library, and uh, this woman would show up sobbing, not knowing why. I shared with her, I said, really, it's, uh, emotions are just your impressions of the world, your belief about reality and you know, reality. They actually are not the same, and they meet on regular occasions. 
and the distance you have to adjust to make your view match what actually just happened is how much emotion you're going to go through. Sometimes anger, sometimes sadness. So what you believe to be true about the universe? Doesn't mean everything will go well, doesn't mean everything will go bad, but if everything is supposed to not go well, like you are going to die, folks, every man jack of you is going to die, some of you sooner than others, and some of you by surprise. That's the reality. What did you think was going on here when you signed up for this game? Oh, I want to be born. I want to play with toys in the yard. I want to meet a girl. I want to get married, have kids. I didn't ask to. No, you asked to die. And for every person that you enjoy in your life, just like, you know, getting a pet. Did you see Bob Babylon B? It said, idiot parents buy a pet for their child at Christmas. Yeah. Because all they're doing is planning for the, the, the wreckage emotionally when that beast dies. Well, you have emotion. You know you do. And you know you care about something like a family member suffering or dying. But I want to talk to you as believers. Those of you who believe, I want you to think about what you believe. What is the reality that you claim? It was the feast of the dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. Jerusalem, this is the rainy season, cold and rainy. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon probably because it was raining. The porticos are colonnades that would run around the out edge, outer edge, and the portico of Solomon was the eastern portico, uh, huge columns holding up a roof, and people would walk in it because it was dry or drier. So the Jews gathered round him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. There are people who love to ask questions. There are people who want to know what you as believers think. And do you really think that, you know, it's, I mean, it's an odd question. Admit it, we're, we're Christians and we are a strange sect of people meeting once a week, sometimes midweek for Bible studies, singing special songs that the atheists don't have. Believing that a carpenter in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, crucified by the Romans like so many other Jews, is God himself. Okay? It's strange. We Christians ought to accept it. You non-Christians, you ought to accept it too and ask, oh, so you, you think you're the Christ? You think he's the Christ? The one the Jews were anticipating because there was going to be some man coming down the pike for the Jews. They were looking at it from the other side, looking back at the Christ and say, he was the Christ, he was the son of the blessed, he was God himself. The Jews had a history of they were going, when's it going to happen? Because they were anticipating, you know, kind of like in times people were anticipating the Antichrist. Okay, Back then they were anticipating the Christ. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Sometimes we think that that's a, oh man, that's such a good opportunity. They're so curious. 
They want to know. How do you know Jesus is the Christ? And so you gather your books together and your paperbacks and you talk with your friends and get your apologetic all worked up so you can present to them. Like Paul did in Romans, proving to the Jews that, from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus doesn't quite go at it that way. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. He told them, and anytime you've been in the Gospels and you've seen the things Christ said, it's pretty clear. So clear it really bothered the Jews how clear he was. But they kept want to keep, they, they wanted to keep it at the time of, a lot of people don't mind religion. They, they, they don't mind religion that comes into them as their current placeholder answer for the questions they have. Yeah, currently I think that Jesus is the Christ. I go to a Christian church. Is that enough? Let's keep it that way. Let's keep, what is it, uh, um, better to, what's, what's the phrase? Better to travel than arrive, something like that. Better to, the journey is better than the arrival. No, it's not. The question, as important as it is, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. is when it has been plainly told is what you do with it. We, 2,000 years later, a lot of things have happened, but whatever the case, we've had 2,000 years to study the words of Christ, 2,000 years to look at the things that were written down in his lifetime. If you're not aware, I mean, the Gospels, I mean, Mark probably written in 50 A.D. The other Gospels following within the lifespan of the, of the apostles that wrote them, obviously. Here is John, the guy who Christ got along with the best, the disciple whom Jesus loved, writing this down so that you would believe. But part of this is, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me, but you do not believe. I told you, you don't believe. I do miracles, you don't believe. Now, why? So we, we go back and, and we say, okay, maybe a bigger miracle this time. Go through the scriptures. Look at the miracles. They don't get bigger. Raising the dead. Walking on water. They don't get bigger. Healing the blind. Taking the leprosy away from someone. Those are just Christ's miracles. What do you expect him to do? Do it while standing on his head? Here, if I stood on my head, did I heal him? Or do you want the arguments to be really simply present to you that what he said was clear? You can't avoid it. You go through the Gospels, you cannot avoid Jesus declaring who he is. But some of you want him to say, Hi, I'm Jesus Christ, Social Security number. Run it out. Here's a photo of me on the cross. Here's a photo of me, time-dated, raising from the dead. 
with a clear statement. Not only that he is the Christ, that he is the God, there is a trinity, and this is how you explain it. You want that. And it still won't be enough. These are people who didn't, you know, later on, we're 2,000 years away, they had, this is the guy talking to them. Jesus Christ on the ground talking to them. They're going, are you the Christ? He says, I told you that already. Now, what's the problem here? You say, well, Jesus, you should be a little ready to tell them again. Jesus doesn't seem to be ready to tell them again. They ought to believe they don't believe. Now, what his reasoning is for why they don't believe, look in verse 26. But you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. Now, you can invent what you want about what that means. Does it, you know, those of you who are more determinist, is it the, you know, the elect? Or is it the people who have willfully followed God? That's, that's not really the point of the t passage. How do we define sheep in the passage? My sheep hear my voice. Do you understand that? The reason you heard but did not believe is you weren't sheep because the nature of sheep is to hear the voice of their shepherd. And they follow him. That's the other aspect. When they hear, they follow. I realized... Uh, my grandson, Chonky Tom. His name's not actually Chonky, but you know him. He's Chonky. Well, he responds now to Chonky from across the room. I said, Chonky, he turns around and looks at me, you know, like, I will kill that man someday. But he knows who he is. He knows who I am. It took him a year. He always looked at me suspiciously. If I tried to pick him up, he would, the lip would start to go. Look for his mother, look for his father, panic, collapse. But now he comes over and sits on my lap, and we have a great relationship. He hears my voice. He knows who I am. And he comes when he's called because he hears my voice. And you see that with kids with incremental. The grandfather says something, they may or may not do it, but they recognize their voice. Parents say something and they do it. You have to be one of the Lord's sheep, which means you have to qualify as someone who listens and hears what he's saying and follows him when he says it. When he, uh, when, remember when his uh, parents, her mom and her dad his mom shows up with his brothers, uh, and they say, hey, hey, Jesus, your mom, mom's outside. I guess you got to go home now. And he says, now, who, are, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Is it not those who hear the word of God and do it? The sheep are those who hear Jesus Christ and follow him. Now, There's a very popular book, well-known in the Western world, called the Bible. And a third of it, or maybe a little less, is the New Testament. And a small portion of that is four Gospels written, to by 
disciples to by associates of the disciples in which the things that Jesus said are written down. As John says at the end of his gospel, let's see if I can spot it quickly enough to not lose track. But there are also, this is the last verse of the book, but there are also many other things which Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The end. We've got something. And people should know that the teachings of Christ, the life of Christ, the character of Christ, the deeds of Christ, as much as you could be told, were told in those four Gospels. You don't believe essentially because you're not hearing that speech. Not because you didn't get a chance to hear it. These guys heard what Jesus was saying. I told you. They heard it. But it was a different kind of hearing. They were told it and did not believe. They didn't, you might say, hear and listen to it. Like you listen like a ship lists. You, go, you head that direction. You follow him. You want to know what he said. I was talking to an unbeliever the other day uh, who had some real good questions. And uh, we were chatting about it. And after this unbeliever left, I, I was talking to we, um, the believers that were in the conversation about the situation and how I didn't see, I saw the asking of questions, this you know, hey, is the, Jesus the Christ? Do you, you think Christianity is true? What makes God so important? Uh, what, what makes Christianity right? If you hear the voice of Jesus Christ and you, in hearing, follow, you're going to be acting like you're someone who hears the voice of Jesus Christ and follow. You'll not just have the questions, is he the Christ? It'll be, what, what, what do you think he meant in Matthew 7 when he says? Because you'll be listening to your master, the master you wish to follow, the one you are seeking out. And in that, there's you hearing and you following. And then there's another part, what makes you sheep. And I know them. It's right there in the middle of verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. In the process of pursuing God, you are not just looking for the answer of the long search of man, trying to figure out meaning in your universe. Because if that meaning is personal, if that meaning is... Um, has an agent at the other end of it, not just a, a claim about the nature of things, but it's an introduction to someone. Are you the Christ? I told you, you don't believe. And if you know me, if you listen to me, and I know you, that's the, that's the awkward part about knowing a God, is that he has the opportunity to know you. 
And it's that wonderful passage, I think it's in Galatians. I have the reference there on the side, just because of the way it's phrased. Uh, Galatians 1, 4. 4, 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were in bondage to beings that by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly and elemental spirits? Poor religion, bad religion, other religion, untrue religion, true religion lived falsely because you don't listen and he doesn't know you. And that knowing of you, to be known by your God, which has some evidence in it, right? If you could comfortably walk down Main Street in Moscow knowing that you are known by God. Not that you claim to be a Christian, not that you hold to the right doctrine. And here's the important, here's the, here's the, the walk away with this, verse 28. They follow me and I give them eternal life. That was what I was thinking about with my sister. And they shall never perish. And that was what I was thinking about with my sister. Not that I'm claiming a promise that my sister will never perish. She might be dead. She might die sooner than I want her to die. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. This is what the sheep, the people that believe in the Christ, I'm assuming you, believe and follow. It is he who knows you who promises you that eternal life, and you know him having promised you eternal life. And when he says eternal life, he means you shall never perish. And you say, but hold it. Isn't Heather on death's door? Yes. Isn't Jim Wilson on death's door? Yes. But they shall never perish. And it's that strange, quirky twitch in your left eye when you're telling somebody that. But no. They shall never perish. And they sort of, oh, creepy, man. What kind of religion are you in? Well, the one that has the twitch. I had a friend who believed he was a prophet. Uh, and uh, not standard, you know, charismatic prophet, but, you know, mm, Unabomber type of prophet. You know, out in the woods, north of here, whatever. And when his eye would twitch, he knew it was a prophecy. Nice guy, otherwise. You know that you're making a claim that you're going to walk forward on and say, I believe him, he knows me, and I will follow him. And when he says eternal life, Skippy, he means eternal life. And I don't think you can call that lying down a dying business as perishing, because I don't think my sister who may be dead by noon today, has perished, if I'm one of Jesus Christ's. Because that's the desperation. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, the antichrist philosophy professor here on campus, nah, quite a few years ago, whose daughter died. He was an atheist. His daughter died. It destroyed him. 
Not because family, I mean, you're all sad when a family member dies. That's normal sorrow. In his world, she did not exist in any, any, any way. She was just a concept, just a memory. That's the only existence she had because there is no God. There is no afterlife. There is no life eternal. That's what unbelief offers you. But we Christians, we talk about eternal life all the time, you know? Forgiveness of sins and life eternal. That's what you get. The question is, are you just saying that because you're part of this group? Or are you saying that because you're one of his sheep? Because his sheep believe him when they hear him. They hear his voice. They follow what he says. And he's offering, you say, what is he offering? Good living for some sort of Thomas Jefferson-esque proper ethics. You all had ethics before Jesus. You didn't need Jesus for ethics. He just taught you that somebody could do it. He is something else. They shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Do you have that confidence when your family members stand before the eternal? The tragedy of the unbeliever who has not listened to Jesus Christ, has not followed him. Jesus did not know them. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Because you want to stand with confidence. You want to, you say, Evan, are you just some trying to explain your sociopathy that you just don't have any kind of empathy for anything or anyone? Oh, I, I know I struggle. Some people hug. I do not. Some of you have snuck through my defenses. I forgive you. So it might be that. But even those of you who are the most racked with emotion, you still get to believe this or not. And what you believe about your reality will affect how reality touches you. You will all, all of you, be dead on a bed with a loved one standing next to you, or you'll be the loved one standing next to the dead on the bed person that you care a lot about. That you will sorrow for, you have sorrow. And you'll weep with those that weep. But he gave us eternal life, and we shall never perish. You feel it easier with your, your, my father, 93. He could be dead by noon, too. But you go, oh, yeah, pfft, live a long life. He had, in our minds, he had his heaven, right? You're allowed to die at 93 because you had all that America could offer, right? You had been to Disneyland many times. It, it, you had enough vacation. You had, saw your great-grandchildren. Okay, get out of here now. Because we believe this is the heaven. This is the, oh, it's a temporary life, but it was all you can hope for. So, Jim Wilson, you're at the door. 
It's not because we believe him who promised us a life eternal and that we will never perish and no one will snatch us out of his hand. We just got done with his heaven. Because what hits us harder than a 15-year-old suddenly getting the leukemia and dying? They haven't had their heaven yet. Are we believers or are we not? I know that leukemia child is going to die and you're going to be sad because it's your cousin. You're welcome to it. But you better ask yourself, are you one of the Lord's sheep? Because you had also better say through your tears, they shall never perish. They knew Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Okay, now you know that this throwdown is getting serious because he's throwing in your actual theism about this. Well, who is God? What is God able to do? But you don't seem to understand. I'm really sad. Oh, are you really sad that God himself, his power, because this is what Christ is throwing around. My father gave them to me, and he is omnipotent. That's why he's greater than all. No one can beat him in this fight, and he is going to give you eternal life. And I and the Father are one. It's not that I'm here to defend the Trinity. The, the deity of Jesus Christ is important because he's throwing eternal life at you and asking whether or not you believe him. Do you believe functionally, emotionally, that God is powerful enough to raise the dead? Not in the story, not of Jesus Christ, not of Lazarus, but you. If you don't, oh, this is good. Because just like us, we look at these passages, I and the Father are one, and you jot it down because it's good for your arguments about the Trinity. Now, we're finding out whether or not you believe that you will never perish. Are you the sheep of God? Do you listen to him? Do you follow him? The Jews took it theologically too. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Normal afternoon in Judea. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Now, if you're ever looking for the comic remarks of Jesus... This would be one of them. Guys are picking up rocks. They're serious in those days when they pick up rocks. It's not like just a metaphor for something. It's a rock. And he says, you know, of all the good things I've done for you, which ones are you going to kill me for? The Jews, who are not very funny, answered him, it is not for a good work. I understand how you should be so sarcastic at a moment like this. I really, I really do not. I mean, this is serious. You just said you and the Father were one. But for blasphemy, because this is called an overreaction. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Very clearly he did. The people there heard him. They took it seriously, proving how much they weren't ready to hear. Oh, they're willing to ask him, are you the Christ? This is the kind of people he's talking to. He said, I already told you. 
but you did not believe. I already told you. Let me tell you again. Oh, where's a rock? Got to be this guy. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them God to whom, gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. Now, the nice thing about the truth is that, you've heard me say this before, because it's my own quote, and I, if I say it enough, you will start quoting it. I do want recognition. So he says, as Evan Wilson once said, then you say it, okay? The truth is under no obligation to convince you, but you're under obligation to be convinced by it. Now, Jesus Look at these people who did not believe. He doesn't go, oh my gosh, what am I going to do to convince them? He has been the convincing thing. Now he's going to talk to them. He says, well, okay, all right. Let me give you an out on the passage, the passage that you're, you know, the Bible did call some other people the sons of God, and you were fine with that, so why don't you put that in that category? Why don't you just scramble up, keep the fog lying heavy on this perception? You're getting accusing of blasphemy because I said I'm the son of God. Others have been called the son of God. Satan is called one of the sons of God. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. With people you deal with who do not believe in Jesus Christ, either have not looked at Jesus Christ or they've looked and said, I don't think it's true. I don't think he did those things. I don't think this is a historic record. I think this is a made-up, you know, fanciful narrative, some graphic novel without the pictures. Don't believe me. You have to affirm that he's not doing the works of the Father. You have to affirm. You have to actually say that what's on the page, what it says about Jesus, actually didn't have. You're going to happen. You are going to be claiming that Jesus Christ's, everything we know of him, who you have to understand. I love history. And there's a bunch of complete tools who think they can just change it from BC to BCE, which means before current era. Oddly enough, right around the time of the birth of Christ. Why? I don't like Jesus. What do you not like? What do you not like about him? Well, you know, all the things he did, they were so evil. No, you probably that right there. He healed people. He was kind to be that woman that was read about Roy in the passage, you know. Go and sin no more sort of thing. Seemed like a good man to me. Have you read him? You know you're in trouble if you're going to try to reject Jesus Christ. Even unbelievers like Thomas Jefferson will keep all of the stories out of Jesus Christ and all of the ethics. They know it's good. They just try to subtract all the metaphysics. If you believe someone is that good... If you knew someone that good here in Moscow, you'd think, I think he's God. <laughs> because you don't know anybody that good. Look at him. Read the book of John. We're in John. This story's in there. Read Matthew. Read any of the Gospels. 
If I do them, verse 38, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. Remember he, up at the top he said, I told you, you don't believe. I showed you, you don't believe. Okay, if you don't believe what I say, believe because of what I do. Consider what he did. Consider what he said. Decide if you're going to believe or not. Because if you look at what he did, these are people who had seen what he did. No matter what you thought of what he said, the reason the guys are asking him the question is people are getting raised from the dead and he's walking on water and he's doing all sorts of things. <clears throat> They're wondering what he claims to be. They're wondering where to put him. Is he the prophet? Is he the return of Elijah? Is he the Messiah? What do we mean when we say Messiah? Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Begin to understand what's actually on the ground here. He says that, end of quote, verse 39, again, they tried to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. These are people that had witnessed what he did. When he finally starts to say the thing that would be Pretty clear, given what it would take to do those things. And he says one thing, I and the Father are one, which is either true or false. But it sounds true coming from a man who did those works. But nonetheless, they tried to put him under arrest. He had to physically escape. This happens a number of times in the New Testament. Jesus escaping from the people trying to kill him. One time he had to do a miracle to like confuse them. Because he was going to let them kill him at some point, but not yet. Now, after this, in verse 40, he went away again across the Jordan. He'd been in Jerusalem at the temple when that little exchange went on. Across the Jordan to the place where John at first baptized, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign. This is not the John of the book we're reading. This is John the Baptist. John did no sign, but everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. That's what I want you to think about. This question this morning is about belief, whether you're one of the sheep that hear him, one of the sheep he knows because you hear him it's evident that you hear him and that what your heart does when you hear him say something is kind of remarkable. You know, kind of like when some favorite song by Billy Joel comes on, if you like Billy Joel. Do anybody like Billy Joel beside my son? You like Billy Joel, Cheryl? Two, yeah, three. I see that hand. I see that hand. That's, I don't know if that phrase is familiar to any of you in other churches, but that means you just got saved. You saw the hand, and Billy Joel has welcomed you into his glory. We know how we feel when we hear something. For me, it's ZZ Top, not Billy Joel. But you're, you're, you feel it. You feel good. When your Lord says something, hearing your master's voice, and then you start to, by association, these guys are listening to him out by the Jordan. He's saying, you know, 
John didn't do any miracles. John the Baptist, sort of the last of the Old Testament prophets before the Christ, and he gets killed by Herod before the Christ does. And, but he's preaching righteousness in the wilderness. But then he says, but everything that John said about this man was true. We have a connection of truth claims. Not only what Christ says and does, and your response to it, but anyone who said anything about him. I was noticing that when um, in John, um, <laughs> it's amazing. This is in the next chapter in John, the high priest Caiaphas one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You don't understand that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the, and that the whole nation should, should not perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied. Caiaphas is trying to get Jesus killed. He's a bad man, but he's the high priest. And then he prophesies, not knowing what the meaning of his words are. When things, the, this Christ is so important that anybody who knew him or said anything of him, you start to measure goodness out and goodness back into him through these tracks and also badness out. But even the bad men trying to kill him say wonderfully uh, insightful things that one man should die for his people. But I wanted you to say, say it with John or see it with John or hear it with John. Because John, the gospel of, records back in the first chapter of John what John the Baptist said of the Christ. These people are going, you know, John didn't do any miracles, but everything he said about Jesus is true. The next day, verse 29 of chapter 1. He saw Jesus, that's he is John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, you're, you guys are not prophets. You guys don't eat locusts and wild honey. I don't know if the just will be eating locusts and wild honey soon, but we hope not. We hope they still get peanut butter. We don't like John, but here we are 2,000 years after John. And like the people at the Jordan who listened to what John said of the Christ, then looked at Christ and said, yes, that's him. They were hearing, and they were willing to follow. They believed in him there. Are you ready with John to go, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Do you see that? Because that's what, back here, the people who are listening for eternal life and never perishing and not being removed from the Father's hand, that's all about you being forgiven of your sins. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, for he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. You want to read, go back and read more of John, pointing, making, ways, making straight the way of the Lord, the voice crying in the wilderness, reminding people of ethics, 
and then the way that they would be forgiven for their failure in ethics. Christianity is not a religion to teach you new ethics and how to go do them. It's to forgive you of the ethics you didn't do, the crimes you committed. And then finally, power to be good. And John bore witness, verse 32, I saw the Spirit descend as a dove from heaven and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That's what the people said John was saying about the Christ. John said this about the Christ. Other people standing there go, he said, you know, John was right. Everything he said about the Christ, which is what? Takes away the sin of the world, baptizing you in the Holy Spirit. And he was the Son of God. So the question now arises, how do you prepare? I'm 66. I can see death from here. Facing it in my family. Each of us, we pray for our family members driving around the countryside because they might get in a car accident and be killed. Because wouldn't that be awful? Clear this up first. Are you one of the sheep that believes in the Christ who has given you and most of your friends, many of your family, eternal life and they shall never perish? Really, honestly. They really have been set free from sin that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Is he that? Do you believe that? Do you follow that? Does he know you? Answer the questions, because you will be prepared. You'll be able to rejoice. I've told you before, when my mother died, we um, showed up at the house, this is, I don't know, 10 years ago, 11 years? Something like that. Uh, my brothers and my sister, and... and um, we were rejoicing in the living room when the mortician showed up, which he did not approve of. Now, he did not reprimand us, but it was, I mean, it was like out of a movie. A, a short man with hands like this, I'm sorry for your loss. And we were laughing at the other end of the living room. Because we were Christians. I hope, you know, to some degree, my mom was old. Things weren't going well for her health-wise. Fine, yes. Remember that little bit about, do you think that this life is the heaven you get and once you've earned your way out by having the heaven you will possibly get, are you fine with death? Think about the heaven you're going to get. Think about the life hereafter. Will not perish. No one snatch you out of his hand. There is, in, even in the Christ's own death, Remember, he did it for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. And at the foot of the cross, there was a Roman centurion who was looking up at what was going on, probably a pretty big day in human history. He said, surely this man was the son of God. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, it's Christmas time. Your son was sent he lived a life, he taught the people, he did the deeds. It has been written down, 
we are either pursuing it or we're not. We're either seeing him as God himself or we're not. And when he promises us things, we know he gives, them those, gives us those things. And we would ask that we would submit our hearts to following what he says. Those of us, Lord, who are his sheep, we'd ask that we would persist in hearing him and following him. Bless those who preach it. Bless us each who live it. And thank you again in your son's name. Amen.